welcome to the Remain Faithful podcast. My name is Hannah and I'm your host. On today's episode, we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 in order to contextualize the meaning behind verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12, a passage of scripture that is often misrepresented. Thank you for tuning in today and let's get started. Alrighty, howdy everyone. I came to realize recently that I usually greet all of the people that I love and value in my life with a big and joyous howdy, as opposed to a timid like hi or hello. So in that spirit, I should probably greet y'all the same way. Um, Today, as inspired by one of my dear friends and a close spiritual confidant, Julia, we're going to take another look at a different passage of scripture that is often misrepresented and pulled out of context to fit our needs and apply to our daily lives. This is one of my favorite verses. But so much of the joy that I derive from it originates from its understanding in context. Today we're going to be going over Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. But in order to understand that passage, we will examine chapter 11 to grasp the root of the meaning for these two verses. So we're diving straight in. We take up the scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 with a very meaty verse that says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Typically when I read, I bounce through several translations to cross-reference vocabulary selection in the text. And this verse is really cool because where the vocabulary choice is substance and evidence, if you look at alternate versions of the Bible, you can find different vocabulary choices that really enhance the meaning of these words. So in other translations, in the place of substance, you can find reality, assurance, and confidence. And if you take it directly back to the Greek, the Greek word is hypostasis which means confidence, assurance. In the same way, in other translations, in the place of evidence, we see the usage of vocabulary like proof, conviction, and assurance. And the Greek word is elenchos, which means conviction. And both of these Greek words, funnily enough, have a loose meaning as assurance. Another one of my favorite verses, James 1.3, does this same thing where different translations add meaning through various vocabulary choices. And if you're reading through the Bible and you get stuck on a particularly difficult verse, I highly recommend doing this and checking other translations to see where the vocabulary choices differ because it can help you build up your understanding of the text. But alas, the question still remains, what does this even mean? While I was studying this, it came to my mind the idea that all of our world, everything that we've ever encountered is made up of atoms. And atoms are made up of subatomic particles. You know what they are, protons, neutrons, and electrons. But if you really want to get technical, subatomic particles are actually made up of even smaller units of matter called quarks. And there are six different kinds of quarks and they are called up, down, top, bottom, strange, and charm. And in addition to quarks, there are leptons and there's also six of those, but they're not nearly as cute. So we're gonna skip that over. But anyways, atoms make up everything, and I've got $5 to anybody who can show me a science textbook that doesn't call them the quote-unquote building blocks of life. Because even though that's 100% true and they are, it's super cheesy, and every science book that I've ever read has called them that. We know that they exist as the substance that constitutes everything we have ever encountered, but we can't see them. And in the same way, faith is the substance that serves as the building blocks of what we hope for, the persistent hope in the promises of God. 
right? So the scripture says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And we can interpret that as faith is the fundamental unit of everything that we hope for and we look to the Lord for. The second half of the verse, the evidence for things not seen. When I read that initially, I thought to myself, that's kind of a double negative because how can you have evidence for what you can't see? Returning back to the metaphor about atoms, if you look at the scientific timeline of discovery for the subatomic particles, the electron was discovered first. The electrons are the negatively charged particles and they were discovered in 1897. The proton came next and protons have a positive charge and they were found in 1911. However, the neutron, one of the fundamental elements in the nucleus of an atom, wasn't discovered until 1932. And even further than that, quarks, they weren't discovered until about the 1960s-ish. It's kind of contentious on when they were actually found. But we haven't even known about the neutron or the quarks for a hundred years. This is really interesting because for a long time, people assumed that the atoms were just made up of electrons and protons, and they settled for that because they couldn't detect the neutral charge in the atom initially as in the same way that they could find the positive and the negatives. So we had evidence for atoms, but because we couldn't see them, the composition remained largely ambiguous for quite some time. But regardless, we knew what they were despite how much knowledge surrounded them. In the same way, we can also relate the concept of faith as evidence of what we cannot see because it extends beyond our senses so that we can comprehend what we can't see or touch. So they didn't have it all figured out right from the jump. But I would venture to assume that in the coming hundred years of scientific exploration, we're going to discover new aspects about atoms. And in the same way, we might not have everything figured out right now, but we have evidence in our Bible about the promises of God and past experiences that can help us build our understanding of faith and the way in which we hold on hope for the promises of the Lord. At the end of the day, there are things unseen, and if you want to know them, you're either going to need an electron microscope or faith because the only way through the difficult things of the unseen is through faith. A really important point that we have to understand in comprehending what faith is, is the idea that faith does not contradict reason. This is a big point. It might force us to push past our good reason as humans, but fundamentally, faith and reason are harmonious. We can see a really beautiful example of faith in harmony with reason in Hebrews 11:19. We're going to come back to this as we go through this body of text, but essentially Abraham was asked by the Lord to offer Isaac his one and only son that he had waited years to obtain as promised from the Lord. The Lord asked him to sacrifice him as a testament to his faith in God. And Abraham had reason to believe that God could raise his son from the dead. Abraham had a solid working knowledge of the character of the Lord, and he had a bank of evidence that he could remember to supplement his reasoning. However, the action of faith required more than just reason. It required trust that the Lord would do exactly as he promised Abraham he would do. Faith, as according to this verse in Hebrews 11, is not wishful thinking. It's not flighty, up in the air, imaginary, or vague, but rather it is confident knowledge that things unseen, i.e. something that has not yet come to pass, 
will come to fruition because God has promised that it will. It is trust in the completely all-powerful God to do exactly what he has said he will do and what his character dictates will occur. So wow, that was a lot. But I say all of this because chapter 11 is completely about faith heroes who live their lives in faith and trust of the Lord and who are honored because of the devotion and unshakable belief in the Father. So in order to understand this text, we have to have a firm grasp on what faith is and how you act and live by faith. Chapter 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Fame or more aptly, the Hall of Faith, which leads us to take up the long list of Old Testament heroes in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10.6 gives a really great reason to read the Old Testament as it said, Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. But also in addition to this reason, we can see examples of ways that we can emulate the individuals we find in the Old Testament so that we can have faith and we can believe in the Lord with all of our hearts in the same way that they were able to do at that period of time. So we start with this list in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 the first hero on the list is Abel. He offered an animal sacrifice and this was the first sin offering recorded in Genesis. If you read the Levitical law animal sacrifice was fundamentally an action of faith as it required the giver to believe fully and wholeheartedly that by the grace of God their sins would be atoned for through the death of that animal. The second hero we find is Enoch in verse 5, and Enoch is one of the coolest people in the Old Testament. In the time that he lived, the average life of the individuals recorded in Genesis 5 was about 929.125 years. Yes, I did calculate that. I threw out one outlier from the data, but yes, it was about 930 years. But Enoch only lived to be 365. The reason is because he walked so closely with the Lord for 300 years that the Lord just took him up to heaven. He snatched him up to heaven. And the only other person in the Old Testament that this happens to is Elijah. And so this type of faith, this type of growing continuously and moving forward with the Lord all days of your life is utterly remarkable and something that everyone should strive to emulate. In verse 7, we find our third hero, and that is, of course, Noah. God chose him to continue the human race due to his righteousness as a man. And he had faith to build the ark even when it was crazy to do so. If you remember back to the time when Noah was living, the earth was overrun with a lot of sinful practice in the human race. The humans were interbreeding with the fallen angels and they were creating a species called Nephilim and they were overrunning the earth. And God saw in Noah a way to continue the pure bloodline from which Jesus would originally come. And so he chose Noah to continue the human race because he was a man of faith and because he was following after the Lord. And this man of faith responded bonded to this calling with even more faith than what he had seen previously in his life. What is crazy in one season of life can become an act of faith that others will want to model in the next. And so don't forget that, my friends. Verse 8 brings us to our next hero, and that is the one and only Abraham. Abraham obeyed God and left the comforts of his home to travel without knowledge of his destination, become a foreigner in a different land, and live out the rest of his days in tents. The story of Abraham comprises a lot of the beginning of Genesis, and it's an awesome example to see someone who really had to go in full trust of the Lord 
I wouldn't say blindly because we never go blind. We always have the guidance of the Holy Spirit and our scripture to turn to, but he really did have to trust the Lord 100% to deliver him out of the desert and into the promise. In the most logical way possible, directly following Abraham, we see Sarah, and she believed in faith that even as a barren woman, she would be able to conceive and have a child, and from this faith, the entire lineage of the Israelites arose and the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. It's actually kind of funny. If you read in verse 12, it says, From one man, in fact, one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars. And it continues on. But man, that was a roast. The author of Hebrews is unknown. And that's probably a good thing because they are throwing some shade at Abraham, calling him good as dead. But anyway, that's just an aside. After this first wave of faith heroes, we see in verse 13 that these individuals in their lifetime did not receive the fullness of their promise, especially Abraham and Sarah, but they recognized that they were only temporary residents of this earth, a realization that fundamentally drove their desire for a better place, and as it is said in verse 16, a heavenly one. And if you take a closer look at verse 16, it says specifically, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Wow. I mean, guys, this verse, man, there is so much beauty in this text. It is told to us that because these individuals recognized that they were seeking a homeland from somewhere other than the earth, they were looking towards heaven, they had their eyes upturned towards the Lord. The Father was not ashamed to be called their God. I bring this up because if you were struggling with any feelings of shame or guilt or overall self-degradation, take a look at this text and stamp it on your heart and believe that if you are an individual who is hoping for a heavenly place, following in the footsteps of the Lord, that God is not ashamed to be your God. Man, so good. After that beautiful intercession in verse 16, we take up again with the hall of faith, again returning to Abraham. This is the part that we spoke about briefly in the beginning of the podcast where Abraham is asked by the Lord to offer up his son Isaac, you know, the one that God promised him he would have after making him wait a really long time to get him as a sacrifice. Verse 19 tells of his belief in the Lord that he would be able to raise up Isaac. And it was out of this motion of faith that God blessed Abraham and he restored Isaac back to him. He didn't die, but God recognized how difficult this was for Abraham and he awarded his son back to him and continued to bless the lineage of the Israelites. Verses 20 through 22 give us three faith heroes, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, more individuals who come from the lineage of Abraham. And these individuals had faith in the future that God had planned, and they were looking forward, knowing that God would deliver his promises. They were praying for the people that were going to come after them, and they didn't have faith just for the here and now, but they had faith for the then and there, even if they wouldn't be able to see it. Verse 24 brings us the next faith hero, Moses. And this text is so beautiful, so I'm just going to read it. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God 
rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Again, we see a continuation of the faith of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph as they were looking forward to the reward instead of just living for the present and living for the pleasures that could be found in the modern day. Moses left Egypt to lead the Israelites to the promised land. And of course, we know that in order to escape, they had to cross the Red Sea. But verse 29 tells us that when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they all drowned. And the reason for this, of course, is because they were in pursuit of the people that God was determined to release. And there is absolutely nothing that can stop an almighty God. But another reason we can see from this text is because they weren't crossing on the basis of faith, but instead they were using their own self-sufficiency to lead the charge. And this ultimately resulted in their failure. After the exposition of Moses, we find ourselves in verse 30, talking about the walls of Jericho that fell after seven days being marched around by the Israelites and Rahab, an individual we find the story of in Joshua chapter 2, who was a prostitute and a Gentile, and she demonstrated great faith when she hid Israelite spies in Jericho. Aside from Sarah, Rahab is the only female on this list, and her faith in the context of all of these others is especially remarkable because she was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile and she was an outsider to the covenant people of the Lord, but still she recognized the sovereignty of God. And when the moment came, she had faith that the Lord would uphold her and her family after being generous to the spies at Jericho, which allowed the Israelites victory. And in verses 32 through 35, we see evidence of more victory. I'm reading verbatim, starting in verse 32, it says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthiah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Listed here are the judges, of course, from the book of Judges, King David and the prophets. But the life for people of great faith who are represented as heroes was not always easy. We continue reading the second half of verse 35, which says, Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The author of Hebrews is telling us very clearly here that people on account of their faith experienced deep persecution. This is evidenced in the fact that nearly all of the disciples were martyred. Dozens of people were martyred during the Reformation. And still today, outside of the United States, Christians are dying from their belief in Jesus. And so this is not that far removed from us today. However, these individuals endured the suffering because they knew that the reward was worth the adversity. What was waiting on the other side was infinitely better than their immediate hardship. 
Such suffering is the pain that is often associated with the promise because living by faith does not mean living without trial. I'm going to say it again. Living by faith does not mean you will be exempt from living with difficulties and with hardships. It simply means that you trust the Lord through what you walk through and you believe that he is abundantly good and able to sustain you through whatever he ordains you must endure. One of the really important things about this text when you read it from your Bible is that every time right before a faith hero is introduced, the structure in this chapter is that the sentences begin with two words and they are by faith. And so every faith hero is introduced with the pattern of by faith and then their name. So we have by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, etc etc this is important of course in the context of the entire chapter because faith is what is leading this charge and is what is leading this exposition but as we see in verse 39 that says all of these were approved through their faith but they did not receive what was promised verse 40 since god had promised something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us so all this faith All this work and diligence and devotions and these individuals didn't yet have the revelation of Jesus. They didn't have Jesus and they didn't have the resource that is the Holy Spirit and yet they believed even though most of them never saw what they were believing in. But y'all the epic truth is that we do. We have the revelation of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the continuation of the scriptures in the form of the New Testament. And this should encourage our faith to strive for the goodness of the Lord beyond any restraint or doubt. Because unlike the Old Testament heroes, we have seen the work of Jesus. What was unseen to them is abundantly available to us as evidenced by our completeness in Christ. I mentioned a few moments ago the importance of the fact that each of these individuals' names is preceded by the vocabulary by faith. And this is showing us that these heroes were working out of complete hope in the Lord, complete trust in his character, that he would do what he promised he would do. And they worked out of faith, not their own physical, emotional, or mental strength, not their intelligence, not their physical beauty, their personal merit, their talent, their reputation, their own self-righteousness, their financial power, their biblical knowledge, church attendance, volunteer hours, monetary donations, or ministry commitments, or their ability to hold on and control a situation. I am beyond certain that I just said something that applies to you in your life now. But they only utilized faith. They didn't rely on themselves at all. They looked to the Lord and they trusted him completely. And that is how they saw victory. None of the other things that I listed would have worked. Going by faith was the only way through. And the same is true for us. And it is out of this knowledge of chapter 11 that we find the beginning of chapter 12. It starts chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, 
And if you remember last week when we talked about epistles and key transition words that signal to us that the author is changing thoughts or wrapping up or making conclusions, here's a fantastic example. <laughs> Anyways, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's in reference to the Old Testament heroes, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is so common for the end of verse 1 that says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us to be taken out of context and used to justify endurance in any general hardship of life. It is common for verse 2 to be taken out of the equation and it is common for the first half to melt away to where the only scripture that is being cited is the second half of the verse. But this is a fundamental way in which we cannot read scripture. We have to read it in its entirety for the purpose it was written so that we can pull out the complete teaching it is trying to provide us. So the proper way to interpret this text is yes, God calls us to endure and he calls us to summon up endurance, but he specifically calls it in the perseverance in the race of faith. You can apply this text to enduring in faith the trials of your life, but you cannot sever it from the meaning that we are designed to will and to work for the God's good purpose in Jesus Christ by faith. But yes, still persevere through your studies, your job, your relationships, your various commitments. Persevere through COVID and through any trial you are facing, but don't persevere through these things without first prioritizing the endurance necessary to run the race of faith as that is the only thing at the end of this life that's going to matter keep your eyes on jesus as the perfecter of such faith and don't hesitate to ask him for help when you need it chapter 11 tells us about the miraculous faith of these heroes who lived in a time before the revelation of Christ and how they were able to still persevere in the Lord and still look forward to the promise even if they didn't get to see it in its fulfillment. The fulfillment, of course, being the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we may have atonement for our sins, but we have seen the things unseen to these Old Testament heroes and we know Jesus and he is the way by which we can perfect such faith and I encourage you to spend time with him and to love him as much as he loves you and from this relationship he will be able to increase your faith and create strength in you that you didn't know that you had and provide you with endurance to get through hard trials. I'm going to tell a brief little story and then we will be done here for today. Recently, I was out for a run. Now, I've been a runner for as long as I can remember. I have very distinct memories of training, actually training as a third grader to win the elementary school fun run. And so it was like a fundraiser that all of the kids would go out and we would walk around the neighborhood and I live in the neighborhood where my elementary school is and so my house was like on the route and you know it was just kind of fun but once you got to be a third grader you could start running the 
first and second graders and the kindergartners, they had to walk with their class, but then once you got to be a third grader, you could take off and shoot out the gun like a bullet and just go for a run. And so I, you know, enjoyed running and my mom would help me train. And so I would run around the neighborhood. I would run the course that was going to be used for the race. And my mom would follow me in her car to make sure I didn't get kidnapped. But ever since I was a third grader, I would run. And so in middle school, I ran track and I don't run competitively anymore, but I do still run for fun. And the other day I was out for a run and it was a very, very windy night. Like I said, I ran track in middle school and the way that we were always taught to run our races was, and I run distance. And so when you are coming down to the last 200 meters of a race, that last lap of a race, you want to push yourself to the max, you're almost done. But the last 200 meters is when you really give it everything you've got. And you make sure that once you cross the finish line, you don't have anything left in the tank, that you put it all out there in the race. So I remember being taught by my track coach that as you're speeding up around the corner of the 200, you start to accelerate. And then that last 100 meters is a full breakout sprint. And I still run this way today. And so at the end of every leg of any fun run that I go on, I always give it a nice good sprint. And so the other night I was running and it was super windy. And if you know, running in the wind is miserable. And so I was running in the wind and my Apple watch was telling me that I was coming down to the end of the mile marker that I was trying to achieve. And I looked down and I noticed that the last stretch of my run that evening was going to be directly into the wind. I was going to have to run head on into it. And I thought to myself as I was approaching that last stretch of track, man, I really don't want to sprint into that. I really don't want to do that. That's going to be hard. But because sprinting at the end of every run is something that I've been doing for ages, I immediately kicked that thought out and I said, no, we have to finish this way. We have to finish strong. And so I took the corner and I start running into the wind and you know, the wind is coming at me and it's hitting me head on and it's a lot of resistance. And I look over to my left and I notice that the building that's on my left is shielding a lot of the wind, probably 40% of the wind. And so I was maybe getting 60% of the wind force coming directly at me, but I noticed that the building was going to stop short of when my sprint would be over. And so I looked at that and I was like, well, I just have to build up the momentum to get through that. So I started to run faster and I pushed even harder so that when the building did end and when the full force of the wind hit me, I had already built up the momentum several meters prior. It wasn't as hard to keep pushing through. And the crazy thing about this is I was running and I finished that leg and my watch told me that I had reached my mile marker and I turned the corner and immediately the wind changed direction. And so instead of pushing me from the front, it was pushing me from the back. I tell this story for a couple of reasons. First, foremost, we are going to face trials in this life. We are not exempt from having to do hard things and having to step out in faith for the Lord like the faith heroes were. And so there will be points of our life where we have to run straight into the wind. We have to take the full force of the difficulty and of the resistance of this world to accomplish things for God. But the sooner we get started in that trial, the sooner it's done, 
Sprinting the end of a race means that you can finish faster. And so if we take off full of faith that God is going to help us get through, and if we notice that things are getting harder and we don't relent, we don't slow down, we push in further and we lean into the Lord, then we will be able to continue with the same momentum of endurance when the full force of resistance hits us. In addition, once the trial is over, once the wind changes direction and it's no longer coming at us from the front, but it's coming at us from the back, our trials will be our greatest teachers. We saw this last week in the writing of Philippians when Paul was saying that his trials have helped him learn the secret of contentment and have helped him grow in his love of Jesus. And the same thing will be true for us. Once the trial is over and we have endured it successfully, that experience will help us as we continue to push forward through to life. And so anytime you face something difficult, my friends, run straight into the wind. Run as hard as you can. And the more momentum you build up in your endurance and faith, the easier it is going to be to get through those trials. Never forget that the Lord is behind you and go forward with confidence that the Father will bring to fruition what is not yet seen. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, remain faithful. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would be grateful if you subscribe to the show so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to connect with us, you can find our Instagram page at Remain Faithful Podcast, or you can head over to our website at remainfaithful.org.